Bear on Bears fans, another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast is here. The offseason's in full swing. The Bears have a new OC. What does that mean for the quarterback position? Going to be breaking all that and more down with Courtney Cronin on today's episode. Courtney, what's going on? A lot. I feel like today was a big day. You know, it's the start of a new week. The divisional round's over, um, and we have quite a bit of news, which is good for the Bears because they went just about two weeks after firing the last offensive staff and hiring the new one in the process of hiring the new one with Shane Waldron. So at, um, at the very least, they were very thorough in the search. Nine names that surfaced, and even as late as the end of the weekend. Um, I don't know if you saw Jeremy Fowler's tweet that they had reached out to, uh, what's his Kellen name? Moore. Kellen Moore from Kellen the Los Moore, Angeles yeah. Chargers, which is, you know, that would have been 10 names had they done all of those, had they been able to do uh, that interview. And who knows if there were others that they had reached out to. But if, if anything, they're thorough. I guess that that should be something that you know has the fan base pretty happy considering how they went about this process which i can't even tell you last time they did 10 they had 10 people for a coaching search you know for a head coach search <laughs> i i i feel i feel like we're looking in the right places where i said this over on the breeze we're not leaving any stones unturned and it doesn't look like we're just picking up random stones we're picking up mm-hmm. specific spots that we're looking at that's why i like this shane waldron hire let us know how you guys feel about it in the comments below hit that like button subscribe to the page leave that five star review y'all already know what to do i guess let's start here with shane waldron the higher has taken place here, and now everybody's mind is that the offense is going to be an entirely new offense, an entirely new... It's going to be a refreshing uh, difference from Luke Getze, just like Luke Getze was a refreshment from Matt Nagy, just like Matt Nagy was a refreshment from John Fox and his... that. Like When we're looking at this, how different, realistically, is this going to look, no matter who's under center? Well, and that's the thing. Like, I know that we'll hear from Shane Waldron at some point. He will get asked about Justin Fields. He will get asked about Caleb Williams and other quarterbacks that could be on this team via the draft next year. This hire doesn't scream one quarterback or the other. At least it's not very obvious. Now, there will be people who claim that this is pointing them in the direction of staying put and others who say, oh, this is a Caleb Williams offense. This is the McVay system. This is a quarterback-friendly system that a rookie can thrive in right away because you have a great defense, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't see it that way. And I go back to quarterback-friendly offense because that could be that could bode well for either Justin Fields or for Caleb Williams. Like, you know, the West Coast principles in this offense are what make it so Brock Purdy can run it at the same time that Matthew Stafford has run, you know, has run it successfully in Los Angeles. And you've seen variations of this across the league. But, like, the baseline, like, kind of as we're learning Shane Waldron and we'll talk to him and get the nuts and bolts of this, if you take a look at, like, what he did in Seattle the last couple of seasons, or at least, like, the last two seasons, so taking a look at Luke Getze last two seasons and Shane Waldron uh, you know, two of three years as an offensive coordinator. The two years he didn't have Russ because um, he got yeah. he got that job from Brian Schottenheimer um, when Brian Schottenheimer moved on after the 2021 after the 2020 season. So, like the design pass rate for the Bears last two seasons, 30th. The design pass rate for the Seahawks last two seasons, seventh. Now, the design like this is the part of like the imbalance with the Chicago Bears offense. Like you go from 30th to third yeah. in design rush percentage. So you're way at the bottom of the league, way up 
at the bot at the top of the league in terms of rush percentage. And then the the Seattle Seahawks were 26. So they weren't at the bottom of the league, but you're still in the bottom 20th in terms of the, the run game and how often they're calling runs. And what I will be very curious to see is that design rush percentage for quarterbacks, because if it is just in fields, we know that that's an element for some reason they decided to go away from this year, trying yeah. to make him into more of a traditional pocket passer, or at least have him like hang around and in the pocket more, more frequently, at least than he, he appeared comfortable with how they find the balance. Like that's, you know, that's the thing that Matt Eberflus was alluding to it. There just wasn't enough balance in this offense. And there were times that I remember in doing my research on Shane Waldron where it felt like Pete Carroll, without directly saying it, was saying, hey, run the ball more. And I think that was a byproduct of, or at least like kind of what he was pointing this to, you know, look, we're not converting on early downs, um, you know, well enough to set ourselves up for a third and manageable. So we need to run the ball more effectively. Either way, this is a situation where it feels like if the Bears are seeking more balance within their offense, where you're not having to be in a situation, um, you know, like when you take a look, I looked, I pulled up some of these numbers. So like the notable change here I thought was kind of interesting is that in the last few minutes of a quarter for the Bears, like their, their design rush percentage went down to ninth and their design pass rate went up to 21st. Like, you know, for the, for, Waldron with the Rams, if you take a look at like, you know, pass game coordinator, they had their highest snaps under center in the NFL, naturally lowest snaps in the shotgun. And they also utilize play action at like the highest rate in the league. So like all of those things, when you factor in what Justin Fields was good at, the moments where he was successful, the moments where he wasn't, this feels like if you put him in this offense, which is not a complete departure from what the Bears were in the last two years, that you're going to see those things that I mentioned, not such peaks and valleys where it might be able to level off a little bit more and you'll have him in a situation where the play action game should be, you know, should be something that they're able to, to, to lean on more frequently. Um, considering it, this is what we've been talking about for a while, get the quarterback on the move, have him make throws inside the pocket, have him make throws outside the pocket. Yeah. And what we don't know yet is that if they do stay with Justin Fields, how do they maximize his playmaking talents? How do they let him be Justin Fields to the fullest? Because there were moments where we saw that this year. There's also moments where it felt like that was, you know, kind of coached out of him, so to speak, uh, which, you know, you, if he's your quarterback, you want to let him be who he is. Yeah, and I think that's the thing about this hire that, I, one, I love the fact that we went through nine different play callers because, there were a bunch of options here that could have led led you to go one way or the other, right? Greg Roman probably means you're sticking with Justin Fields. Cliff Kingsbury probably means you're going Caleb Williams. You you can look at each one of these names and feel like, okay, there are specific things where this goes well. But to me, Shane Waldron was the one name where any situation can go well. And the fact that, right, like even, even with a lot of the, the pass-to-run numbers, the part that mm-hmm. I think is very different here in Chicago is when's he going to run the football, right? That That's, is he going to run it at the right times? Is he going to be very conscious? And I've seen that from him in Seattle where he's conscious of the moment. He's conscious of where he's at. Yes, there's going to be times where he's just letting it fly, but it's also right on a third and one, he's not going to make the dumb decision of, mm-hmm. all right, let's drop Geno back and see if we can, you know, get a get a ten yard pass out of this. He's gonna make this. He's gonna make simple, simple. Where when we talked about Luke Getzey so often, it just felt like we were always talking about him making simple difficult. Yeah, and that's like, 
the idea that you will have somebody be able to be in a rhythm with your quarterback right off the bat, the play calling experience helps with that. As we have talked about finding a coordinator who has done this before, he has three years play calling experience doing it with like the job he just came from. Luke Getze was learning that job on the fly when he took over as OC in 2022. So Though the idea of, okay, what do they call like in some very obvious short yardage situations where the Bears seemed to really struggle last year, whether it was those fourth down play calls um, where you were happy they were aggressive, but the calls didn't make sense, like using DJ Moore out of the backfield or, you know, the third and one where it's, you know, the third was it third and one, third and two, the pitch to Tyler Scott in Cleveland, like all of those things that. You, when you have an, somebody who's done this before and now has three years of experience working with three different quarterbacks over those years, that you hope that that will lead you down the path of this is a much more polished product where it doesn't feel like you're walking in shoes that are two sizes too big, that you've done this before, that you know the best situation to get the success, most success out of your players, like set them up, put them in the best situation to succeed. And that's something that I don't know if it happened frequently enough for the Bears comf- for the Bears comfort level with um, Luke Getze and this offensive staff. Does it feel like with all the names that the Bears went to and, and could have found right that the Bears got the best name out of that group? I mean, there was some good names in there. Mm-hmm. There was some names that I thought could really benefit the Chicago Bears, but it felt like Shane Waldron always was one of those. He he was the unexpected one, right? Like he wasn't supposed to be available. And then Pete Carroll moves up and is like, oh, well, can can we talk to him? Can we get that guy? He's really good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still I think it's hard to say because of course everybody who sees the hire, reads the news, is gonna form an opinion about it. Most times that opinion's not gonna be based on anything other than what they've heard or, yeah. you know, quote unquote doing your own research. Does this mean that he was better than the other eight candidates? Maybe. Does it all could it also potentially mean that the Bears came to uh, you know, an impasse with other candidates, or maybe they felt that there was part of his plan for the quarterback, whether it's Justin Fields or somewhere else someone else that you know, might not have been the best overall plan, but maybe he had the right nuts and bolts. Like, we don't know these things, and we won't know these things until we start doing research and digging into it. But what I can tell you is that they were very thorough in their search. And when you take a look at, like, when you're connecting the dots here, four candidates, including including this one, and Shane yeah. Waldron came from that McVay tree. Like, that's clearly the most dominant tree McVay, Shanahan, whatever you want to call it. If you want yeah, to yeah. put the Shanahan tree in there too, like you'd throw Clint Kubiak. Like that's that's the most dominant tree right now in the NFL, and there are a lot of quarterbacks who have thrived in that system. And there's a reason that that system, which started with Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak, has morphed into all of these variations of it across the league. And when you know when Kyle and then obviously um, Sean McVay, all of them working together has have they've all helped develop it into what it is now. But I, I think that it was pretty obvious that the Bears wanted someone from that system based on how it feels like a quarterback-friendly offense, no matter what team it's on and, you know, who's calling the plays. Obviously, you want to do it successfully. Like, we've seen, you know, this offense in, mo- in moments. I mean, they, they ran it in Minnesota for a couple of years. It was good until it wasn't. Um, you've got to find the right players to be in it. But I think with the quarterback, this, this takes away a lot of the guesswork where you have to have a certain quarterback to run the Greg Roman offense and be really proficient at it versus something that 
can can not only benefit your quarterback, whether it's the current quarterback or a different one, but all 10 other players that are on offense from having to relearn an entire new system. Outside of the quarterback position, because that is going to be the most important and, and the thing that dominates our talk mm -hmm. throughout this episode, most of the offseason, who's going to benefit the most from Shane Waldron being the OC of the Bears now? It's a great question. I think first off, we saw... You know, in him taking this job, you'd like to imagine that he's going to have a lot of say in personnel, but mainly like who his quarterback's going to be. Outside of that, I think he's going to look at Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and say, hey, I want another one of those next to mm. DJ Moore, opposite of DJ Moore. They had 2,000-yard receivers last year. And yeah. that's that's important for what they want to do in creating a well-rounded offense. Like, you know, they don't have to – you know, they don't have to um, – you know, be the team that's spending a lot of money on running backs. And, you know, I feel like that's kind of been their MO here. You know, they, oh, yeah. they wanted to pay David Montgomery. David Montgomery wanted to go somewhere else. But now they have a formula where they can draft and replace, draft and replace, and still get a ton of production out of the guys that they have to oh. complement where that's not like the focal point of your offense. So I would say, you know, receivers for sure. But I also think like the blocking scheme to – um, in, in what they have and some of the free agents at Seattle, you know, is good, that are going to be free agents from Seattle this, this, you know, this off season might be guys that Shane Waldron wants to tap into at the front office to bring in here guys that know his offense, because there's three positions right now that you could probably say are up for grabs next year, whether it's, you know, two or three, we, I don't know what they're going to do at left tackle. I feel like that's still, you know, kind of still uh, the jury's still out at that position, but certainly center. Feels According like to PFF, he's one of the greatest left tackles of all time. That's, yeah, I mean, I think you can look at the numbers and be like, okay, but can you make an upgrade? If there's one there, is that the right yeah. thing to do? But certainly center is one of them. And I don't, you know, Nate Davis wasn't great this year. So, like, do you look to make an upgrade there? Do you look to move Tevin Jenkins back? Do you want to sign Tevin Jenkins to an extension? But, like, there should be, like, those should be the positions that they, that they really, like, key in on with his expertise and free agency, like, who would they want to bring in? But also... They run a lot of multiple tight end sets, which the Bears, you know, you know, utilize quite a bit, not, you know, with the blocking scheme, yeah. um, having Robert Tunyon and Mercedes Lewis in conjunction with Cole Komet, Seattle did that too. So that should be a position in terms of guys who benefit from this offense that should also be part of that. It's going to be really interesting to me to see kind of how, who's the receiver that kind of gets, uh, that's on the team now, I guess I should say, that kind of gets the the nod the, that's not mm -hmm. DJ Moore, right? Because Tyler Scott last year, I, I think there was a lot of, again, what I saw off the line, you could tell the footwork's there. You could tell he can separate from guys with the speed. The hands are an issue. Can he get the hands better? All right, I can live with it. Mm -hmm. Darnell Mooney to me is a very interesting one because I would have told you two years ago, Darnell Mooney could be a Tyler Lockett type of receiver if you utilize him in that role. And it felt like Lou Getze basically was like, I got my guy. It is what it is. Tyler's getting these throws. D Darnell, you're not getting these looks. Yeah, and I mean, it's a, it, it's an offense that very clearly needs to have multiple receivers in that sort of role where DJ Moore was the featured guy. Of course, I mean, they got a lot of receiving production out of Cole Komet, which yeah. – if you have a, if you you're gonna have him in the offense for the next couple of years, you just signed a four year extension. But another complementary piece to what they do with the vertical passing game, I think, is pivotal. Could Mooney be that guy? 
you know, I'd love to hear when we talk to Shane Waldron what that plan's going to be for him. Does he view him as part of this offense, or does he view, you know, an upgrade coming via, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., Roma well, Dunes? You know, there's there's a bunch more in the draft that they may feel, hey, we do need another powerful guy and not like somebody who could be a number two or a number three. And, you know, that's that's certainly that would come at the cost of something else. But no. I um if if they want to see a quarterback, whether it's Fields, whether it's somebody else, make significant strides as a passer, this is an offense that leans in that direction. Now this is going to be, you know, the million dollar question of can they make sure they they pick the right quarterback to run it. And and that's going to be the interesting thing here. And we want to get somebody who's got all of the insight on a possible quarterback uh, that the Bears could be looking at at the top of the draft. I want to welcome in Antonio Morales from the Athletic. This is the uh, I, I've I've quantified you as the Brian Windhorse of Caleb Williams talk, my guy. Yeah, I mean you're all over everything USC, everything Caleb Williams. Welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Thanks. Thanks for having me. Doing well. Good to have you here, man. I guess let's let's get it started right away, right? Like the biggest question about around Caleb coming to this team is not even talent. I don't think anybody here questions the talent that he has, but it's the leadership, the off the field, the what is he as a teammate type of things. From what you have observed from this USC team, what have you seen from Caleb Williams as that kind of guy? I think his teammates, I don't think there's ever been like a doubt about his teammates. I think ever since he's gotten to USC, he's he replaced um, Jackson Dart, who's the starting quarterback at Ole Miss now. And Jackson Dart was very popular in the locker room. And so that was going to be something like I watched when he first got there. And he just did a great job immediately of kind of integrating himself into the locker room. I think the one thing everybody points out is like when he like gifted beats to the whole team. Yeah. And like the women's basketball team and the men's basketball team. Um, so that was something that really like stood out right away. Um and I, I think that's something that, you know, he did a lot. I think I forget where I heard it from. I think it was Lincoln Riley telling him somebody about the NFL, how like a quarterback would put their teammates, like share their Instagram stories and stuff um, to get them more followers and things like that and try to kind of put them on, put them on a, a pedestal and give them that limelight. And I think Caleb did that during the season too. Um, obviously there's some stuff that makes people roll their eyes. That's not teammate related, just like yeah. the, the nails and, all the stuff he was saying or all the stuff that was coming out of his camp uh, this past year. Uh, but I think teammate wise, he's been fine. Um, I think they, they liked him at USC. Um, but this past season at USC, it was kind of sour for everybody involved. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It didn't go the way anybody wanted to. So I think um, there's probably room he could improve, like in terms of like, the emotional leadership and stuff like that. But I, w- I wouldn't say he's a bad leader, um, mm-hmm. but there's places he can get better. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to get into there. Of course, you're covering a quarterback in at the birth of the NIL movement. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's completely different from when you and I were in Jackson, Mississippi, you know, eight years ago covering sec football. But like, before we, before we dive down that path um, you know, the thing that I find intriguing about Caleb is that he, you know, you've covered him two years now. He wins the Heisman in 2022. He comes back and the expectation. What was that like for him? Because I know that they don't, you know, quarterbacks aren't available as much as they are in the NFL. Like there's mm-hmm. different media rules, but like 
going into last season, knowing all he had accomplished, how did how and where did he set the bar? Because his star exploded after that 2022 season when he was putting up insane numbers as as a sophomore. How like was he ready for what came in 2023 and like the, just the expectation of what he would have to meet this year in order for it to be considered successful? Yeah, I think he was ready for for most of it. I think he handled most of it well. There's some things he probably he may want back. I'm not sure, but. I think he handled that attention and all that stuff well. Uh, I, f- I feel like there, I don't know if he enjoyed doing the media stuff every week. Um, he did it, but I don't know if he enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of feels like, because USC is a big beat and it's in LA, so it's a kind of different kind of quarterback situation that you see as, a, as opposed to different colleges. And I feel like once, once you get the multi-year starters at USC by year two or three, uh, they kind of get sick and tired of the media. And um, um, so I, I think there's a little bit of that in him, you know, this past year to where I was like, okay, let's let me do this and get this over with. Um, but I think he handled uh, most of that stuff. Well, I think um, a lot of the stuff and why the season was disappointing was because there's so much around him kind of fell apart and failed him. I think what's interesting with Caleb too, is it, we, we keep saying that, right? This USC season really fell apart his numbers were good, but how much of a percentage would you put it on? I, I don't even want to say the adage, just the coaching staff as a whole, because we're a part of a coaching staff here that, listen, there was some problems with the coach, and a lot of – I think the front office even feels like it led to a detriment with the players, which is why the, those guys aren't here anymore. Do you feel like there was some of that with the coaching staff in place, or was it Caleb just kind of like – I have to be the guy that's going to get us the wins. I'm going to put everything on my back and go out here and do it. And sometimes it bit him in the butt. I talked to Lincoln Riley a couple of days after the season ended. And he said, I asked him about like coaching and like where things kind of fell apart this year. And he's like, none of it was good enough. Um, I think, I just think they weren't as creative uh, this past year on offense as a staff as they were in 2022. And we saw Caleb light it up. I mean, he did really well this year. But so much of it was like out of structure and yeah. not within like what the offense was doing. And I think in 2022, obviously he has the splash plays and the highlights and we see him improv and do all that stuff. Um, but he did that more this year. I just don't think there was like a foundation for what the offense was like. There wasn't any foundation for the identity of the offense. It was just like, hey, Caleb, make a play and do something. And I think we yeah. saw that too much from USC mm-hmm. uh, this past season. And at some level, they'll have to improve. But I think um, that kind of hurt Caleb. And I think it was also the receivers weren't getting separation. The offensive line was worse. And then there's the defensive coaching issues, which really cost them and why they lost so many games. Well, yeah. Um, is that- Caleb, well, you got to put scored. up 56 to win. It makes it a little hard. <laughs> yeah, I think he scored. I think there was like three or four games in his USC career where he scored like 42 points or more and lost. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of he would do everything sometimes and still want to be enough. And people will say, well, he never won anything. It's like, well, if he's scoring 45 points, how much can you blame him for for not winning those games? So uh, it was a giant mix of things at USC this year. With as much that was put on him, like last year, 42 touchdowns, five interceptions this year, the touchdowns dropped off considerably but he still threw for 30 mm-hmm. uh i think rushed for 10 or 11 and had you know the same amount five interceptions when he's being asked to do so much and i mean you're saying a lot of stuff that you know triggers visions of justin mm-hmm. fields having all of that on his shoulders in moments his last two seasons in chicago 
how was Caleb able to do that, but also cut down and make sure that the mistake ridden plays were, were not as prevalent when he's being tasked with carrying such a huge load on offense. Like he was. Yeah. I think this year we saw an increase in turnovers and it's like kind of like hard to, to blame him for that. Just when, like you said, he's asked to, to carry so much his first year, he did a great job of like not turning the ball over um, this year. He had some critical turnovers, I think against Washington um, against Utah, obviously the Notre Dame game. Um, and that stuff just gets magnified when the defense is so bad. And like I said, everything else kind of regressed around him. Um, but he doesn't really like force a ton of stuff. Like I, I think there are times in the game where Caleb gets greedy in terms of like trying to go deep a lot instead of like the five yard, 10 yard. Yeah. Oh, that can be there. Um, I think we see that a lot or he doesn't take the open running lane when it's there. Um, but he throws it deep a lot of the time, and it's like not um, in a position where it's going to get intercepted or something. Um, so I think that also helps. And um, yeah, he just doesn't force a ton. There might be a time or two where okay, like you second guess a decision, um, but that didn't happen this year. But I think the main question going forward for him is like he's going to be under pressure a lot more in the NFL than he was his first year at USC, and then the second year at USC we saw him under pressure a lot particularly against Notre Dame, and that kind of forced him into some of those bad decisions we haven't really seen. Um, so I think that's the big thing to watch for him going forward. In in Chicago, that Notre Dame game is basically the game that we saw, right? Mm-hmm. Like mo- most people in Chicago formed their entire opinion of Caleb Williams based off of that Notre Dame game because that's the game that, that – y- we knew he was going to face probably the most amount of pressure mm-hmm. with how Notre Dame wanted to play. That game aside, what from that game is not Caleb Williams like that you can tell to people about, right? Because I feel like all of a sudden now the thought on him is he can't deal with pressure. Is that who he is? Is he kind of like when the pressure gets on him, he kind of crumbles around it, doesn't stick, uh, doesn't uh, stay true to his technique and things like that? Or was that just a one-off game? It felt like a one-off game in his career. That was by far like the worst game he played at USC. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame got a lot of pressure on him the year before, and he wasn't as bad, especially with the decision-making. Um, so I think he was under pressure a lot this year, especially like the Oregon game. He was under yeah. pressure a lot, UCLA. Um, and he didn't force as much as he did that day um, against Notre Dame. And Notre Dame secondary had a great game, and Marcus Freeman called a great defensive game. Um but I think that was more of a one-off than as opposed to what we've seen other times when he's been under pressure because he was under pressure a lot um, this past year. We didn't see him make uh, some of those mistakes. So the bowl game against Louisville, he opts not to play. Mm-hmm. Miller Moss, the backup quarterback, goes in and throws for six touchdowns. The immediate conversation is, man, Caleb Williams must be a system quarterback if this backup who, you know, played sparingly during Williams' two years at USC was able to go in and demolish a team that was also without starting players due to, you know, opt-outs, transfer portal, what have you. But what did you make of that rhetoric that was around it? And I guess, is there any sort of truth to that based on the system that Lincoln Riley had him in at Oklahoma and then, you know, had him transfer to, um, you know, fitting into at USC because his NFL fit, I think, comes up with a lot of, like, you know, people are not assuming it's just the Bears in the mix for Caleb Williams, mm-hmm. how he fits into 
this potential offense with Shane Waldron as the new offensive coordinator or fits into a Washington offense or the Patriots or another offense that, you know, could come up the draft board to try to get Williams. If the bears don't, how do you see this college stuff, um, you know, playing a role in that? Yeah, I think I've, I've run this a bunch. I just think Lincoln Riley is always going to have a good quarterback, like no matter what. Um, so, like, I mean, we've seen it for Kyler, uh, Jalen Hurts, Baker Mayfield, yeah. Caleb. Um, I, I think that was right. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I just think the bowl game, he coached one of his better games of the season. He got the team playing really hungry. There's a bunch of young guys who wanted to play really well and kind of show out. And this is Miller Moss's first time starting. Like, he wanted and like that was like his audition for the starting job for this coming up season. Um, so there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, and Louisville just didn't have the athletes at USC in the, in the secondary that they needed to contain USC's receivers. Um, so it was like a perfect storm of things uh, that happened for that six touchdown game. Um, but I, obviously, I think playing in Lincoln's offense helps a bunch. Um, I think it's helped the other guys before too. Um, he does, he, he knows how to get the most out of that position. And, uh, three Heisman Trophy winners, another finalist, and two number one picks, and a guy who's gone to the Super Bowl. So um, I think Lincoln knows how to get the most out of his guys. I, it'll be interesting to kind of see how Caleb fits in the NFL um, because, like I said earlier, like so much of what he did this season was like out of structure, and like I think that hurt USC's offense sometimes too because the play would be there, and he wouldn't just hit the easy throw that was right in front of him. Um, yeah. And so I think – Obviously, that stuff's needed in the NFL. We saw Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes do that all all night last night. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's times too where you just need, need to kind of sit in the pocket and just make the throw that's there for you. And uh, I think that's something he did last year in 2022, but didn't do as much in 2023. Um, that I think he kind of needs to get back to. It's it's so interesting because when I hear you talk about Caleb you're saying a lot of the things that Bears fans who are on the draft Caleb side say about, talk about Justin Fields is having issues with, right? Big play hunter, a lot of off-schedule stuff, Mm -hmm. not taking the easy pass in front of him. But we've heard this label on Caleb that is generational talent, which means he's doing stuff we've never seen before. When you hear that label, do you feel like that is accurate or... Is Caleb just the the next quarterback that, if put in a good situation, it can work, but he's got to fix these issues no matter what? I don't like using the word generational much. So I feel like it's especially I like, thank you for that. So co- co- covering covering recruiting, according to us, like it just gets thrown around like way too much. It's like a generational quarterback in every recruiting cycle, and it's like, come on, guys, like we don't need to say this every year. Uh, but but Caleb's by far like by far the best quarterback I've covered. And I think he's just really like it's unique to see someone who could throw on the move like he can with like the twerk and the power and the accuracy that he has on the move that it's just really rare to see from a college quarterback. And I think that's what kind of has set him apart from all the quarterbacks I've seen come through in, in recent years, especially on the West coast. Um, I just, I think that's the rare ability that he has um, and the kind of creativity he has um, when things go off schedule. So we were talking about this earlier, like the, this is your first NIL era quarterback mm-hmm. um, since it went into effect in 2021, he transfers. I mean, he transcended the cut the sport of college yeah. football this year, all of the deals, all of the endorsements. 
What's talked about here and what I think some Bears fans have concern about is that if you take someone like Justin Fields, who is like universally loved in this locker room, I've never, I mean, I've covered football now for a long, like, you know, a decade, and I've never seen this much support around one player. The fear is if you take Justin Fields out of this locker room, just as a team is building on something, something, and you bring somebody in who is just a different breed. There's the GQ article. Mm -hmm. There's all of the commercials that he's been in. And, and the idea, this is what's that? The fashion shows. Exactly. I mean, like if you take a look at that GQ article, he's wearing like upwards, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in jewelry and clothing. Um, and accessories like it's just it's the like i want i want you with what you know because there are a lot of people who can look at a picture of somebody and say they you know write them off or or subscribe to that person and like how how all of this like makes up the overall body of the quarterback because as ryan poles has said multiple times they're gonna look at the whole person so that includes the leadership style which you mentioned which you know seems like he's got that from the locker room but Overall personality, like let's just like, is he a prima donna? Is he entitled? Has he been coddled? Is he just a yeah. product of like their system at USC putting him in an environment where he can do all of these things? What is it? I think it's a mix of a, a, like I think he's a very calculated person. Him and his dad are like super calculated, and I think I've you know, covering all USC. You have you run into a bunch of five star quarterbacks and mm-hmm. a bunch of quarterback dads over the years and even at Ole Miss, like Shea Patterson, stuff like that. I think Caleb and his dad are kind of the most calculated, most measured, like most planned out quarterback dad combo I've ever come across. Like they're just, it's just different. It's uh, especially this NIL era. And I think Corey, you, Courtney, you've covered recruiting. And like, I remember the first time I reached out to Caleb's dad, he said, let me connect you with our PR team. And that's just different than, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, back in the day just texting a dad and then talking to you for a story um, Te- texting the player himself yeah, like, yeah. I, I imagine that that was probably not part of what you did covering him yeah and like he's been like the face of nil and kind of what its possibilities are um and we've seen what he's used that for and he's just used it for good um and some of it's just different like the the gq article and his dad said like um we might stay a year or whatever. Like we might not enter the draft. And mm-hmm. I, I thought it was kind of like ridiculous at the time. I just never thought he wasn't, I just never thought he was going to be coming back to college in 2024. And uh, so, so you do run into stuff like that. Um, but I think they're so calcul- calculated and measured that they'll have to know, like we need to do this when we get to the NFL, like we need to change this. Like we need to be like ingratiate ourselves in the locker room. Yeah. Um, and do all that stuff. So I would think they could see those issues ahead of time, but but we'll see. It's 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 so interesting too, right? Because you talk about how calculated they are. What does that mean for the last minute declaring for the draft right before I can't not declare for the draft, basically, right? Clearly, there was some thought put in. It's not like he was like, oh, wait, I have to do it today? My bad. I didn't know I had to get that letter in. Like, what what went into that? Does that have to do with the fact that the Chicago Bears could be a legitimate team that drafts them? I, I just thought that was a weird, situa- a weird situation from the get-go because – we asked Lincoln Riley, I asked Lincoln Riley like on a Zoom call, like in early December, it was like maybe December 5th or something. 
was, is Caleb going to play in the bowl game? He said, no. And then a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks before that, Caleb was like, if I don't play in the bowl game, he basically said, if I don't play in the bowl game, I'm probably like not staying. And so like, we knew from you know, those two things, like, okay, this dude's not playing in the bowl game. So that means he's leaving to go to the NFL. And yeah, he just waited to the last minute to announce that he was declaring. And it kind of reminded me of his whole transfer process because USC had like their deadline and mission day for spring enrollment was like January 28th or something. And so the whole time we're like, well, he has to announce by January 28th. I think it was like a Friday. And um, he didn't even announce that Friday. It was like nobody knew until like the next Monday yeah. that he was at USC. And like the whole time it was like, oh, he's checking out Wisconsin too and UCLA and LSU. And it's like, you know, he's going to play for Lincoln. Like, mm-hmm. well, why are we dragging this out for? <laughs> why, why, why are we doing this? And um, he eventually like enrolled at USC and they announced his transfer and he played for Lincoln Riley and the rest is history. But like, like I said, it's a lot of, a lot of calculation to try to win to announce this stuff. And it's stuff they think a long time about. And um, yeah, just the way they go about things, which is interesting. So regardless, he's going to the NFL, whether it's the Bears taking him or another team, he will be starting somewhere in 2024. Going back to the report that surfaced from PFT July of 2023, there was this idea that his team, you know, it's it's weird to talk about a, a you know, 20 something year old athlete who's not in the NFL yet having a full on PR team. But that's the era that we're in when these yeah. when these when these athletes are commodities, like they, they are fully well-oiled business machines on top of how well they can perform on the field. But there was this report that his team or someone from his team had been reaching out to NFL teams talking about equity, wanting equity, which was kind of unheard of at the time. Um, but also the idea that if he is drafted for the Chicago Bears, that he won't play here. Can you shed any light on whether that's valid, any of the truth behind any of that? Because it still feels like even when when he gets to the combine a month from now, he's going to have to answer these questions. Mm -hmm. But the fact that there's so much smoke about this, like I I don't know if this came from his team, if that's where it all started, or if it's just a rumor that ended up, you know, finding its way to to being top of mind for, for most Bears fans and for most people around this team. I, I didn't really give it much thought at the time until uh, Kaylin Kaler, who's our, who's one of our NFL writers at the Athletic, you know, she had a, a thread the other day about Caleb, and she said she confirmed with a couple of sources that he did ask for equity, which is just like ridiculous, and um, or his team, and it was just like ridiculous. And he's like Caleb, you know that's not you can't do that, <laughs> and like, um, and so like I didn't give it much thought until then. Like, oh, did that really happen? Is it's hard to know from you know, the USC side of things don't have the NFL contacts and stuff, but like, it's, it just, yeah, I didn't give it much thought until then. I was, it was kind of crazy to, to see it. Um, I know when I heard it, um, I thought it was ridiculous, but I also didn't, didn't like ruled out like 100% completely because I know like this family and Caleb have big ambitions. Um, so like, I never like, it's like, okay, this doesn't sound like this is 100% crazy. Like there's probably like five, 10% of me. that's like, okay, I could believe this. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just, it's just, uh, you know, they, they have a lot of big ambitions as a family 
And um, I, I think people have seen that already. And I think we'll learn more and more about it as, you know, he has to talk more and this draft process goes on. The positives with Caleb Williams are, I mean, listen, it's a CVS receipt. There's a million reasons that teams should want to draft Caleb Williams. What's the one thing that you've seen from him in college, whether personality or something on the field that you look at and you say, there's no way that's going to fly in the NFL. That has to change if you're going to be drafted by a team. Hmm. Well, there's, like, as far as like on the field goes, um, it's hard to say just because um, I think there's times where he does kind of need to take what's there, like what's in front of him, especially now with the way these defenses play um, with the safeties back and trying to take away the deep ball and everything. I think that has to change. And I just think holding onto the ball for as long as he does sometimes kind of has to change, has to, has to change too. Um, just because he does kind of create some tracks for himself um, in the college level. And I think um, that'll have to change. So all of that said, like those are some of the issues that have popped up with Justin Fields and, you know, the fact that he holds on to the ball at the third highest rate of any quarterback this past season. One thing I'm wondering, and maybe I'm off base on this, so tell me if I am. Like Fields is 6'3", 230 pounds. Yeah, like he, he's, he's, a, he's a hoss. Like is there any thought that Caleb – being a little undersized at six one might have issues with that part of it in the NFL. Uh, I'm not the the height is he's definitely like six one, but I think he's like built like a lot better than somebody you might have concerns with. His lower body is like really thick, and that's why you see him break like a ton of tackles. Yeah. Um, it's really hard for the first guy to bring him down. Um, we saw that throughout his two years at USC. Um, so I'm not as concerned. Um, it's not like he's Bryce where it's like 5'10", 5'11". I talked to Bryce. I covered him a lot when he was in high school. Yeah. Um, so like I knew like that height was going to be a challenge. I don't have that same sort of concern with Caleb. Um, and he's just thicker and built, you know, more sturdier than, than, than Bryce's. What's, I, I guess, let's say the hype is lived up, right? He is 110% the player that people are billing him out to be, he's the number one pick in the draft, 100%, and you're going to reap the benefits of it. Who's the person in the NFL right now that you look at and you say that's who Caleb Williams will be if if we max out all his stats to 99? Yeah, I think the first person you think of is Mahomes mm-hmm. and just the ability to do everything with the, the arm angles and doing everything off script and making something out of nothing. We saw it. Caleb do that so much in, in college. Um, I think that's the first person um, I go to um, when I when I think of it. It's I won't say, I'm not going to say he is the next back to Mahomes, but I think there's that style and that flair to his game that um, is there with Mahomes. Why won't if he? I know everybody's putting up high, sky high expectations. What would be the reason he wouldn't succeed in the NFL? Uh, I just think the the timing, like the, some of the stuff, like the anticipation, like how, how are they going to like, how does that going to translate? Yeah. Um, just because the PAC 12 doesn't have like a, a lot of great games to line. Mm-hmm. I don't know like what he's going to do um, when things get sped up and stuff like that. And I think that's something for every young quarterback that they have to adjust to. Um, but yeah, I think it would be like, how does that translate to the NFL? Just because uh, he might see one or two great defensive lines a year at USC or at Oklahoma. 
Um, that's going to be every week in the NFL, especially with offensive line playing the league and, and where it's at right now. With the Bears going out and getting Shane Waldron um, running that McVay-Shanahan style of offense, do you think that's something that Caleb could fit right in with coming into the league? It, it seems like he'd be the perfect kind of quarterback for that. Yeah, I, I think he could. Um, obviously, going to depend a lot about like the weapons around him and the running game. And I think USC had a more uh, consistent running game in 2022 than it did in 2023, and that helped out a lot more and took pressure off him. Um, I want to say USC had an analyst who came from Seattle mm-hmm. who worked with Caleb um, in 2022. Um, so there might be some connection there. Um, so, I, so there might be that familiar, familiarity. Um, so we'll see how that works out. Yeah, speaking of, and I think we'll get you out of here on this, we know that they hired Shane Waldron, but Thursday of last week, the Bears – you know, we find out that they're going to set up an interview to talk to Cliff Kingsbury, who spent last season as a seat was a senior offensive analyst yeah, and quarterbacks yeah. coach. Can you just like tell us like what exactly he did? Was he was he an on? Because I remember when this job was was floating out there, the 2023 off season. Some of the NFL coaches that I knew who had been out of work, you know. They were talking about how Lincoln Riley, or rather, this came in 2022, and I know this was a job that Cliff only had for one year, but a couple coaches I knew had had been floating this idea that, you know, Caleb Williams wanted to have a pro guy on mm-hmm. staff to help him get to the NFL, and that that was the reason that that job was cultivated, more or less. Like, what was Cliff doing? Was he coaching him, like, on the field? Was he in the booth? Like, what what did his role entail, and how much contact did he have you know, on a day-to-day basis with Caleb. Yeah, Lincoln brought in – there's another guy before that who was with, like I said, was Seattle, and then he left. Mm-hmm. And then he brought in Cliff for that role. So it was two guys with NFL experience in that role um, two years in a row. And uh, Cliff was working with the quarterbacks a lot. He was with uh, Caleb and Lincoln in the QB rooms uh, with that position group a lot. He couldn't coach on the field, but he was on the sidelines during games talking to those guys um talking with Lincoln a lot and on the practice field he was working with that group a lot so he spent a lot of time around Caleb um so that didn't surprise me when I saw you know the Bears interviewed him just because um he spent so much time around Caleb the past year and um you know he was in that meeting room he was on the practice field with them so he saw it all for a year and you know interacted with them during games talked to him then he couldn't he wasn't technically allowed to coach on the field um but he was around a lot and worked with that group a lot Antonio, we appreciate you coming on and giving insight into Caleb Williams. A lot of Bears fans dying to know if he's the answer at quarterback for us or if we'll end up sticking with Justin Fields. Let the people know where they can find you at, where they can follow you at, and, of course, make sure that you guys tune in and read all uh, the articles he puts out over on The Athletic. I have uh, indulged in quite a few of them because Caleb Williams and Bears. (laughs) I appreciate it. You can find me uh, at Antonio C. Morales. Uh, on Twitter and at The Athletic, uh, covering USC and college football. And I appreciate you guys having me. No problem. Love having you on. As always, for Courtney Cronin, I'm Pat the Designer. You guys let us know how you guys feel about Caleb Williams. I can feel the war brewing in the comments (laughs) already. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. As always, bear down. Peace.